so many different streams and facets. So today we want to tap into that great spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus. So I want to share just a little bit of my story with you. Um, about 20 years ago, I had, I would have never imagined that I would be speaking on this topic that I'm going to share with you today. Um, it is the topic of the um, overview of Israel, the end times, and things like that. The reason is because about 20 years ago, I had absolutely, not absolutely, but almost no conviction or confidence about any of these things I'm going to talk to you about today. <laughs> this is all brand new stuff in the last 10, 20 years. And even as a pastor, I had gone to seminary, got my master's, got my piece of paper, did my Greek and my Hebrew. Um, and my, the seminary I went to was so academic, they don't even let you study the Bible. They don't even give you Bible classes until you take your Greek and your Hebrew. Now that's how stringent they were. Um, but even after going through all that and having gone through, um, you know, growing up as a Christian a lot of my life, I had no opinion, <laughs> no strong opinion about the end times. All I knew was I, I'm pretty sure Jesus is coming back. And I'm pretty sure that's a good thing. Um, and then everything else is kind of hazy and fuzzy. Um, you know, if you think about the most controversial thing uh, right now in our culture, I'm sure, you know, you look in the news and you, it could be politics or it could be pandemic, it could be any number of stuff. Like, if you're in a pastor's gathering and you want to, like, instantly change the mood to a negative mood, you bring up the end times. <laughs> you say, what do you believe? <laughs> like, oh, suddenly it's like, uh, it's like the topic that everyone's got some sort of strong opinion about, even if your strong opinion is there shouldn't be any opinion. <laughs> or, you know, everyone's got a strong opinion about it. And that's how I grew up. And because there were so many strong opinions, and pastors I grew up listening to and appreciating and learning from, they all had different opinions. And so I was like, how do you choose one? And I just didn't feel confident to choose one. And so I just went along. Um, and But about 10, 20 years ago or so, I um, through um, Mike Pickle's teachings on end times and my involvement with the um, East Bay Furnace and other places, I began to really look at the Bible. Because I never really read the Bible. I, I saw the movies about the book of Revelation, even Left Behind, etc. But I never really like read the Bible in a way that would make sense. Because how do you read the Bible when everything is supposed to be symbolic? Like, oh, those are helicopters that they saw 2,000 years ago. Like, how are you supposed to get that? And it didn't make sense. But when I began to read the Bible literally, meaning like what the Bible says is what the Bible means, and literally doesn't mean like everything is wooden. It's like there are some metaphors in the book of Revelation, but the book of Revelation explains the metaphors, but everything else is what the Bible says is what it is. So instead of coming up with a system and having to choose one and then deciding, oh, where do these things fit in my system? Rather, coming to the word of God and letting God's word form my mind and my system, instead of having problem verses that um, don't fit into my system, or saying, um, you know, Matthew 24 is, you know, past. That's the church age, or that was before Jesus, the temple in 70 AD, so that doesn't apply to us. Or, you know, instead of, like, trying to make things fit into our system, come to the Bible, read it, understand it the best you can. And when, it, when I began to do that, actually a very, very clear picture began to emerge. 
And to my shock and to my surprise, I began to form an opinion about it. But there was real, real energy on my heart. And I began to realize that the book of uh, Revelation, Daniel, and the many, the over 100 uh, chapters in the Bible that talk about the end times, it has very little to do with fear. It has very little to do with sensationalism. It has everything to do, at the end of the day, with the testimony of Jesus. Um, one of the scriptures there, if you have your outlines, is Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This entire book of Revelation begins with the unveiling. That's what Revelation means. You reveal something. You unveil something. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants. So it's the unveiling. It's a gift of unveiling to us that blind eyes would be opened, confused minds would be strengthened and given the mind of God. Um, and so it's a gift, an unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave Jesus to show his servants. So this is a gift the Father gives to the Son to give to us. Things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So the more we look in the Bible, there is not just a... Um, I began to see that the end times and the revealing of Jesus is not just a fringe topic. It's not just a side topic for debate. Um, it's not just for fancy maps and charts. I have my maps and my charts or, and all the timelines and charts. Um, it's not primarily about that, but the end times and the study of it is primarily and foremost and for all eternity will be about the person of Jesus Christ. Who he is, who the Father made him to be because of his uh, humbling of himself to death and burial, and that he had, would be raised in Ephesians 1, 8 and 9, that all things in heaven and earth would be brought under him as the head. Because of who he is, what will he do in history when he returns? Uh, so the end times is actually the crowning piece of the gospel of the kingdom. From Genesis to Revelation, the end times, this is it. There, God is not just Alpha, the beginning. He is also Omega, the end. And unless we have a clear picture of where God has taken all of this, we're going to be lost or offended and think, I thought I was going down the road of grace and forgiveness and prosperity, but God, you're taking us on a crazy path down this way. And so it opens us up to confusion, ineffectiveness, and at worst, offense, and opposing the things of God rather than understanding who Jesus is, and partnering with him. And so the end times, it's a study of the unveiling of the person of who Jesus is. It's not the end of the world. Uh, end times is not the end of the world. It's the end of this age. Uh, Ephesians 2, 7, and outlines there, Roman numeral 1, number 2. The time period we call the end times is just the end of this age. Uh, there's different ages to come. Um, Ephesians 2 7 says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so it's the end of this age when Jesus will return as the bridegroom, king, and the judge. And then we'll be entering into the next age, the millennial kingdom, and the age after that. And so it's not about fatalism, it's not about um, fear, it's not about any of those things. Um, it's, it's about knowing who Jesus is, and it's understanding 
core of the gospel of the kingdom. You know, the gospel that I grew up with is Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Raise your hand if you want that. Well, I think I do. I don't want to go to hell. I want Jesus. Yes, yes. That's the gospel usually. But in the Bible, the gospel is more than just forgiveness. It's more than just healing and prosperity. The gospel of the kingdom from Genesis to Revelation and from all eternity, God's eternal purpose is that Jesus himself, the Son of God, the Word of God, he would reign and rule and reign and bring all of heaven and earth together and that he would reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So the gospel is a gospel of all the kingdoms of the world becoming the kingdoms of our God and King. That's what happens in Revelation. So the good news is if it's only forgiveness and going to heaven, it's not such good news when we face hard times. It's not such good news when, when there is a lack of clarity on what God is doing on the earth. So the, the end times and Revelation and Daniel, these are all very, very vital, central points to what the gospel of the kingdom is about. So the American, in the American gospel, the end times becomes an optional, fringe, controversial topic. But in the gospel of the kingdom, from Genesis to Revelation and Alpha and Omega, the God who is, the, gospel, the end times is a centerpiece. It's the crowning piece. It's a, it's a pivotal, a vital piece of understanding who Jesus is, why he came, what he did in his first coming, and how he will respond and how he will lead at the end of this age at his second coming. So it's really understanding, just like Amy prayed, it's the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know him more. And the fact of the matter is, we do not know him as well as we ought. You know, he is more, much more glorious, much more, you know, like, like Revelation, John would see him, he would fall at his feet as though dead. Who is this man who conquered sin and death, who is from before the foundations of the world, who the Lamb of God slain? Who is this through whom everything has been made and who holds all things together by the power of of his word, and who is this going to come who in his first coming would make a way for us to enter into that kingdom by laying down his life in all humility and meekness with the cross so that we would have a way into the kingdom of God, and who is this that would come riding on the clouds at this last trumpet, bringing all the saints in heaven with him and all the angels, and with a loud shout he would return to the earth and take usurp authority of every kingdom on earth. Who is this king of glory? Who is this lord of lords? Who is this bridegroom coming for his bride? Who is this judge coming to enact justice against all wickedness and evil on the earth? He would remove all of it. And who is this king that would come and reign and restore what the first Adam lost? All authority on heaven and earth, Jesus has said, that has been given to me. Therefore, go to all the nations, making disciples. Uh, to, to fill the earth with image bearers of Jesus, to, to fill the earth with people who are baptized, identified with his death, burial, and resurrection, P, uh, and to make disciples that, that would observe all that he commands, the commands of Jesus, to, to, um, that his word would be sweeter than honey, and that his word, we come under the kingdom of God as we obey his word, and as we make disciples, as we come under... Uh, Press into the 100-fold obedience to Jesus. 
And so the end times is a crowning piece of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Letter B, we need to pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We need revelation, which is unveiling, so blind eyes being open, light coming in, so we really know what's going on. But we need wisdom so we know what to do and how to live and how to pray, how to think about all of these things. Um, remember the sons of Ishakar, what was said about them, that they knew the times in which they were living and they knew what needed to be done. It's both. It's a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We can't just say, oh, I know who Jesus is and live separated from what Jesus is going to come to do. It's all one, who he is and what he does, and he calls us to, to join him. It's to have wisdom like the, uh, the five uh, virgins did, to have oil uh, in, in preparation for the return of the bridegroom, uh, to buy oil when they had time. Um, Letter B, number one, we need to be prepared to be victorious in love and power during the most dramatic time in history. When more people will be alive on earth than all of history combined, the population of the, of the earth at the end of the age will be greater than the cumulative population of every generation in history. Yeah. There is uh, a deep, um, so many people on the earth, and there'll be more, the population is booming, and Jesus is coming uh, for for his bride, a people from every tongue and every nation. Um, Jesus is worthy of the reward of his suffering. But number two, the study of the end times is not only for experts or scholars. Um, it's for ordinary people. It's for people who, um, the book of Revelation was written to the church, a persecuted church, a church that wasn't always necessarily educated and uh, scholarly. It was for ordinary, everyday people. And the main message of Revelation is quite clear um, if we would take it at face value and understand it. It's, it's, it's vital for understanding and gaining victory in the seasons that we will be approaching. And if there's anything 2020 did for a lot of people, it's like, wow, the book of Revelation really could happen. And maybe it's happening now. And, and if not, it, it could happen so quickly, all the pieces are in place. Um, I don't believe the vaccine is the mark of the beast. Some people do, but I don't believe that. I think it's all the anti part of the Antichrist system and the spirit of Antichrist, which has been on the earth uh, from Jesus' time. But it's all leading into that. It's that spirit that feeds into that. And so, and so in a minute, things could shift. In a minute, um, a man uh, can be on the earth, the Antichrist, the, the um, the man of lawlessness who would come before Jesus' second coming. In a moment it could happen that that man uh, would uh, take authority from all the, the, the Babylon that is being restored and the nations that would gather together to declare war against Israel and it, under one world government and one world order. Unless you have a mark, you cannot buy or sell or maybe travel or, you know, just, it's just, it's so imaginable right now, just a moment. Um, it can happen. And so we want to be ones who study the Bible and study Jesus and his leadership in the end times, not just to speculate and not just to have some ideas, but to, so that we can be practically ready and also prepare the next generation um, and prepare ourselves. Um, we want to raise up 
a resilient, triumphant bride that is ready for Jesus' return. You know, I had, some, I had a, one dream of getting beheaded. Actually, literally, like the moment before the thing came down, I woke up, but I had no fear, and it was just like, wait, oh, wait, wait, hold on, I think I need to call my mom because I don't want her to worry that I'm not going to see me, and that it was about to come down, and I woke up. I was like, ooh, thank God. <laughs> but, you know, what, what is the mentality of the body of Christ? Is it, oh, how do I get my prayers answered, get a little encouragement, and a little, you know, a little anointing, a little anointing juice going, ooh, goosebumps, and... You know, is it that, or is there a mentality of my bridegroom is coming, and it's a meekness and humility. He calls me to take up my cross daily and follow him, and I will be hated by all nations if I truly understand who he is and what he is coming to do. Like right now, if I preach love, love and togetherness and forgiveness, that's not too offensive. It is quite offensive in our culture, but once we begin to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of a king who is coming, it's going to become tremendously oppressive and terroristic in the world's view to declare that there is another king other than Caesar. And so things could shift really quickly. So we want to not only speculate and guess what the end times are, but we want to partner with God. You know, the, the book of Revelation is not so that we'll have, you know, theories and timelines and charts, but that we could really understand and partner with him. As Jesus is looking for a bride that is suitable and equally yoked with him. Jesus is not wanting us to just barely make it through the tribulation. He's wanting us to thrive, that we would be purified without spot and without blemish. That's the bride that Holy Spirit is preparing, and that's the bride that Jesus is coming for. And so that's the, that's the reason we are studying the end times. That's the reason we are um, um, looking into uh, these things that even angels and prophets are long to look into, but the culmination of the end of the age has come, and even as we, even as Jesus came, um, and God is opening up things for us. You know, there is there there there's several aspects to being led by the Spirit, and often in the charismatic culture, it's being led by the Spirit as oh, Holy Spirit told me to do that. But there is a deeper flow and a, maybe a bigger picture than being led by the Spirit is when we tap into the eternal Word of God, understand the big ocean river flow of the Spirit of prophecy and the testimony of Jesus, and align my heart with that. That is the greater leading of the Spirit, and of course, all the, the daily micro details of leading of the Spirit, absolutely true in all matters. But if you're micro-leading of the Spirit and you're missing the big river, the ocean of God's, the testimony of Jesus, then that's what sets people up for uh, disillusionment and offense. And when you start confusing the gospel, not with the testimony of Jesus and the spirit of prophecy, it becomes something other than the testimony of Jesus. It becomes a nationalistic or, or personal prosperity or anything other than the person of Jesus. Then we, we set ourselves up, maybe if not in this generation, 10, 20 years down the line, our sons and our daughters and our grand and great grandkids, they will be in a place, but not a good spot, without true revelation and knowledge of Jesus. And so we want to receive all that God has for us. First Thessalonians 5, 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Jesus is coming as a thief in the night for those who are not ready. For those who are not ready. For those who are not expecting him to come in that way and for those reasons. Um, but for those who are awaiting his return 
And the term in the Bible for Jesus' second coming, one term is the blessed hope. That is my great expectation, not in the kingdoms of man, not in the political parties or laws and all of those things which are important and absolutely affect every detail, not every detail, but many details of our lives right now. But my blessed hope is when Jesus comes, splits the sky, and comes on the cloud, bringing all the saints with him. And he declares that the kingdoms, the angels declare the kingdoms of our God have become the kingdoms of our God and King. So that is my blessed hope. That's when my body will be transformed, caught up um, to be with him in the air. And in the twinkling of an eye, that's when uh, we, we will be with the Lord forever. That is our blessed hope. And so uh, we, we, we will not be in darkness. The day will not surprise us. It's, it's like the days of Noah. Um, they were not ready, but Noah had been preparing for years. And that's what God is giving us an opportunity to do. This is who Jesus is. This is what he is doing. This is what he will do at the end of the age. Join him. You are his bride. You have the privilege, the spirit of prophecy to know Jesus and know what he's going to do ahead of time so that you can prepare your hearts to be victorious and triumphant in love at that time. So do not, you are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Day of the Lord, two extremes related to Jesus' return. Joel chapter 2, verse 11. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Malachi 4, 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Uh, it's a theological term. It's a pro prophetic term, a biblical term. But just to think about it very simply, it's God's day. If God had his day, and he would do his will on the earth, and not man, and not the corrupt governments of man, driven by people, with, uh, driven by the flesh, you know, mankind apart from God. If, if God were to have his day, and all of the prophetic prayers of God, how long, how come you're not, you know, allow wickedness and evil, how long, if God had his day, he answered all of those prayers, the, the souls of the martyrs crying out to him under the, the altar, Lord, how long before you bring justice? If God had his day, and he did something about it, he will, what will that look like? So that's the day of the Lord. Yeah, it's going to be an awesome day. There's going to be healings and deliverance and salvations and revival like we've never seen before. But at the same time, when God comes, it's going to be absolutely disruptive. Um, it's going to turn all things upside down. It's going to be a great day, the most beautiful day. God will come. But for those who are not ready, those who are not prepared... Those who have been opposing him and rebelling against him, it's going to be the worst terrible day. Revelation 1, when Jesus returns, people will be you know, growling and they'll be upset that this king is actually coming. And instead of repenting and humbling, it will be, we will kill you again. 
That's the spirit of the Antichrist, that is. That it was in operation at the first coming, it will be in operation again. You know, in, I forget the scripture, it's the parable of the wheat and the tares. It's, it's one of the keys to understanding the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like this. A master goes out, sows good seed, wheat, but an enemy comes in at night and sows tares. And later on, the servants call the master and say, oh my gosh, master, what happened? Did you, how are tares, all these wheats growing here? And did you do this? And the master goes, no, an enemy did this. And so they go, great, oh, we'll pluck them all out. The master goes, no, you let them stay and let them mature, come to full maturity. <coughs> Along with the wheat, let the chaff come to full maturity. And these are, um, scholars think it's Darnell. It's plants that look almost identical to wheat. It's very difficult to tell at the early stages. Um, you can look up pictures online. But when they are mature, they look very different, and the darnel are actually poisonous uh, to humans if taken in big, big amounts, and so and it's disastrous for crops. So they actually have laws where it is illegal to secretly sabotage people's fields and plant darnel um, because that that's like industrial agricultural sabotage. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that, and so just. Um, in the same way, at the end of the age, God will allow Babylon, the, the, the kingdoms of the world, to come to full maturity. Right? What is Babylon, the spirit of Antichrist in the world, what level of maturity is it at in 2021? I don't know. Is it at kindergarten? Is it in high school? You know, just relatively. When Jesus returns, it will be at full maturity. Jesus says, when that harvest time comes, first gather up the wheat, uh, gather up the tares, cut them down, and throw them into the uh, furnace to be burned. And then the harvest of the wheat comes. So there will be an escalation, a unifying, a full maturing of wickedness, of the spirit of Babylon. And, and when God's restraining hand is removed, God will allow that to come to fruition. But at the same time, God's people, the wheat, will come to full maturity church without spot and blemish, fully unified in love, fully unified, uh, taken up our cross to be equally yoked with Jesus. Oh my gosh, what, what's that going to look like? Like, is that even possible? <laughs> Not with uh, human efforts and human pastoring and human, that ain't going to happen, but with the Holy Spirit taking the things that belong to Christ and preparing us for Jesus, the bridegroom. That is absolutely going to happen. And that's, that's our greatest pleasure and our joy, that we would surrender and lay down our hearts and count ourselves as dead, crucified with Christ, in order that his resurrection power would manifest in us. And so that's our greatest joy. Can I finish the thought about the wheat and the tears? Anyways, yeah, so God is going to let both escalate. So when the day of the Lord comes, that's where we were, uh, in the day of the Lord, um, let's go back to the outline here, Roman numeral 2, letter A. The day of the Lord, the great day of the Lord, refers to the unusual events, both positive and negative, that will escalate in the final three and a half years before Jesus returns. It is one of the prominent themes in the scripture. 
It's mentioned specifically in 40 verses and indirectly addressed in hundreds of other verses. It is, quote, his day, unquote, because it, it's a unique time frame in which Jesus acts in the earthly arena in great power for his people and against his enemies. So it's his day. For the wheat, it will be a glorious, beautiful day. For the pears, it will be a terrible day of judgment and God's wrath. Letter B, it will be a great day to those who call on Jesus' name because they will experience the greatest outpouring of the Spirit in history, Joel 2, 28-32. It will be a very terrible day to the rebellious who will witness the most severe outpouring of God's judgments ever seen, Revelation 6, through 20. Uh, Jesus' judgments will shake all that can be shaken on earth, and the nations of the earth will experience military invasions by the Antichrist's worldwide evil empire, while God's judgments are poured out as seen in the book of Revelation with the seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls of wrath. And so, as you can imagine, the book of Revelation, it's a whole, a whole big topic, so we won't be able to you know, get into the details and uh, a bit more, but that's kind of the broad strokes of outlines. But the book of Revelation is about Jesus coming at the end of the age to, to bring the day of the Lord. And when the day of the Lord comes, it will be great revival, at the same time very terrible as well for the rebellious. Um, letter D, the end time events are the labor pains which are involved in the birthing in quotes of the age to come. God's kingdom established here on earth. It will be so worth it, and the pain will not be remembered afterwards. The point is not it's the end times, but that it ushers in the age to come. All right. I feel like I need to tell a joke or something to <laughs> lighten things up a little bit. Like, man, this this preacher spitting. <laughs> I can't think of any jokes though. Oh, I guess the labor pains. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, of course, there for both of my um, wife and our children being birthed. Um, but that whole labor pain thing, that ain't, that ain't no joke. <laughs> That's for real. Oh, <laughs> uh, But, you know, as soon as the baby is born, that's what, that's what it's unto. And that's what the, the turbulence and the terrible times of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is, is a day, but it, it's a season. The last three and a half years of history of this age, that after Jesus returns, after that, he will bring bring the age to come, the millennial kingdom where Jesus himself will fulfill the prophecies in the Old Testament of him sitting on the throne of David from Jerusalem and ruling on the earth. And, and so those are, um, Jesus compares it to the labor pains. And so... All right, um, Roman numeral three, the great tribulation. Matthew 24, verse 21 through 22. This is talking about um, the final three and a half years before he returns. <coughs> Matthew 24, 21. Um, For then there will be great distress, great tribulation, great trouble, great distress. Um, Unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equal again. 
So this is going to be the worst ever has ever been, and it will be the worst that will ever get. It, it is the day of the Lord, final three and a half years of the stage. Verse 22, if those days have not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. So the final three and a half days be years before Jesus returns is, is called the Great Tribulation. Jesus said that um, this day would come. Um, it's the, um, it, actually, let me stick to the outline. I think that'll be better. Um, letter A, Roman numeral three, the principle of judgment. This is the why behind the great tribulation. And why God allows it and what, how God uses it. God uses the least severe means. And this is from my people. This is so helpful. God uses the least severe means to reach the greatest number of people at the deepest level of love without violating anyone's free will. Yeah, isn't that called the least severe means to reach greatest number of people at the deepest level of love without violating anyone's free will in training the future rulers of the earth is bright. Jesus is bright. The great tribulation is severe, but it is the least severe means to accomplish God's purposes. The purpose of God's judgment is to remove all that hinders love so that multitudes will be saved and mature in love. And related to that is letter B. The purpose of the Great Tribulation is to purify God's people, bring in the great ingathering of souls, the harvest, whether it be millions or billions, including the salvation of all of Israel, vindicate the saints, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, to expose false believers within the church, to demonstrate God's power in protecting the saints, to punish sin, and to purge the earth from the defilement of sin. So God is going to do that in one fell swoop. Right? This is something only God can do. And I know the answer is going through the book of Habakkuk. And this is like, how in the world will God accomplish all of this and bring about his kingdom on the earth? This is the revelation of who Jesus is, and this is the study of end times. And God doesn't send us anything more than what we need. He will shorten it to the least amount possible, and he will maximize his protection over us and his provision. He will do everything so that at the end of it, we could only say, God, you are just, your judgments are righteous and just, even your wrath. And you, God, there was no fault at all. You know, that's the way God's going to do it. And that's the glorious revelation of Jesus. Let her see Jesus prophesied about the great tribulation, which emphasizes the negative dimensions seen in the final three and a half years before his return. It is the most severe in history that will surpass all other difficult times in history. God sovereignly determined that these days would be shortened to three and a half years to keep all physically being physically killed so letter D basically it just talks about how it's going to be a great time a great day but a terrible day you know it is going to be you know I, I read the book of Acts it's going to be a great day and a terrible day I read the book of Acts and usually I gravitate toward the good stuff 
the, the outpouring of the Spirit, the 3,000 saved when, on the day of Pentecost, the, the mighty expansion of the gospel in Asia Minor, two and a half years, the gospel going to 8 to 15 million people of Asia Minor, with Paul, little man teaching at the school of pirates, Tyrannus. Uh, just amazing things happening, the gospel conquering. There's also in the book of Acts a lot of hard stuff. Uh, a crazy man named Saul, before Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus, going with warrants to, to, to kill and to imprison believers. There's, you know, there's political oppositions, stonings, floggings, you know, imprisonments, shipwrecks, uh, all sorts of stuff, and that is all in there too. Um, it will be the best and the worst. You know, we, we think about um, Jesus' time. Oh, it would have been great to be with Jesus and to see his, his miracles and stuff. But yeah, but would it also be great to be at his crucifixion and to, you know, have to run for my life out of fear? <laughs> and, you know, uh, would it be great to, to know that the, the, the judgments and the tribunals and the embarrassment and the floggings that Jesus endured? It's, it, it's both. In the time of Moses, there was a great and mighty hand of God to come and deliver his people. But at the same time, it was in the context of, of Egypt, a, a, a wicked uh, pharaoh who had hardened his heart against God, and God uses that to liberate his people. Not partially, but because Pharaoh's heart was completely hardened, God delivers his people completely, completely severs the ties and lets them, lets them go. Um, this is the day of the Lord. Um, it's going to be the greatest hour for the church. Our greatest hour is not when we have mighty buildings and you know all sorts of freedom in our land. Actually, our greatest hour will come in perhaps what is when the hairs will be at their full maturity. And there will be a man, a literal man on the earth called the Antichrist, who will usurp all the authorities and the governments and the kingdoms of the world. And you and I will not be able to buy and sell and use our credit cards and PayPal to buy stuff. And it will come in a time of great persecution and great darkness, great persecution and martyrdom. It will come in the light of that, but it will be a time when the fear of God will be on the church. And those people might revile us and speak evil against us and say they are wicked evildoers and their message is dangerous to the peace and unity of our world. But at the same time, it will be the time of the greatest miracles. It will be the time of the greatest signs and wonders. There will be two witnesses on the earth who will breathe fire from their mouth. Uh, as a, um, as a, they were, there will be all sorts of miracles that have been unheard of. Um, the judgments of Egypt, it will be multiplied. That's what the seals and the trumpets and the bowls are. The, the signs and the wonders, the power of God, the harvest, it will be at its full maturity. And it will be given to a church that is without spot, without blemish, in complete meekness, even in the face of, 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 of persecution and martyrdom. You know, um, we will have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus prayed all night, and he chose twelve disciples. And among the twelve was a tax collector named Matthew and a, a zealot named Simon. Two people from opposite extreme poles of the political spectrum. And to both, he says, repent and believe in the kingdom of God. And they leave their life. Jesus says, love your enemies. Peter, um, you know, Simon looks at Matthew, and Matthew sneers at Peter, uh, Simon. 
you idiot, <laughs> how could you be a terrorist? And you idiot, how can you, you know, make money for the Roman government? And you're a traitor to our people. Love your enemies, forgive them, and I'm gonna make you one people, and I'm gonna make you my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You will embody forgiveness, you will embody unity, you will embody my wisdom. Um, and Jesus didn't pick you know, religious leaders, scholarly leaders, governmental leaders, he took fishermen, and people from all walks of life, he told them all to repent. Because there's a higher kingdom coming. And it is his kingdom, and he will bring it about in his way. And for that, both and most of the disciples, historically, they, they were martyred and laid down their lives. And so there will be an escalation of evil like none other in history. But God is preparing us so that we will be victorious in love at the same time. It is, it, it is crazy, but it is glorious. It is something that God is preparing his church for. Um, amen. We'll go on a little more, and I know I, I, I see questions in your eyes. I see all these things, so yeah, maybe you guys might... Uh, on the internet, we'll have questions as well. But uh, let me get through a couple of more quick things to uh, tie up some loose ends um, and make the entire Bible make sense <laughs> in the 10 minutes, and then we'll take some <laughs> questions and answers. He's the king. He's the king. The eternal counsels of God. Uh, three points. Here we go. <laughs> uh, Roman numeral, what is that? Five, that before. Uh, the rapture. The rapture describes what happens to the saints worldwide when Jesus appears in the sky at his second coming. The saints will meet with meet Jesus in the air and will be instantly changed by receiving resurrected bodies. The rapture is not a secret event, but one seen by all the people on earth. It occurs at the last one, which is the seventh trumpet. You know, um, one of probably the most controversial and debated things about this whole topic of the end times is this comes down to this. At the, at the end of the day, um, will we have to go through all the hard stuff? It's, that's basically what it comes down to. <coughs> there are some people who say, no, we will not. Jesus will just return at any moment, and we will be caught up in the air with him in a rapture. And if you're not ready, you'll be left behind. Some people believe that. That Jesus will come and rapture the church before the tribulation, pre-tribulation rapture. Other people say that we are already in the millennial kingdom when Jesus is reigning on the earth um, because it's figurative of God's kingdom, the gospel going forth to the ends of the earth. Others will say, no, the church is going to become more and more victorious and revival is going to come stronger and stronger and then Jesus will finally come and crown it with his kingdom. Probably the most controversial thing about reading the Bible as it is, and I, I, I think I'm, I'm being pretty fair when I say when you take the Bible literally and take the Old Testament and the New Testament, all of the books of the Bible, um, the, the thing that comes out is this view that the church, we're going to go through the tribulation. Jesus is not going to secretly come and secretly rapture his church out of the world before um, be, before the hard stuff and the, the the judgments in the book of Revelation. That's probably the most controversial thing. It's called a post-trib. 
um, Jesus is coming back. Um, and we will be raptured and caught up with him in the air, but it will be after the tribulation. That's probably the most um, controversial thing, but I, I think when you take the Bible literally and let the scriptures speak for itself in the timeline and, and taking into account all of these things, that's kind of where, where you end up at. And that's what's called a historical premillennial view. That's the view that the apostles had in the first century church up until the time of Augustine or maybe <clears throat> around that time. That was the only view uh, that Jesus would come back and, and after the tribulation and um, so many things I can see about this. Um, let me see where I go. I'll just take it to one place. Um, you know, to say, um, to make some of those previous views work, um, I'll just put it up there, however it comes out. Um, God, the promises in the Old Testament would only come about if there was a literal Israel. King David would reign on the earth, but there is no Israel. You're, you're Augustine, it's 300 AD, there's no nation of Israel. What are you going to do? You make it symbolic. And so it's not literal Israel, it's symbolic Israel in the church. And God didn't literally promise Abraham land. God didn't literally promise David that you will have a descendant to sit on the throne forever. God didn't literally promise any of these things to the Old Testament church. <clears throat> these are all fulfilled symbolically in the quote, new Israel, which is the church. So that's kind of my rough, very, very rough chopped explanation of an amillennial view, if you could explain it like that. But, you know, to be fair to Augustine, you know, there is no Israel. Israel was destroyed, uh, most of it. And so for hundreds of years, I don't, know, I don't know when was Israel restored, you know, for 1,500 years, there is no, for 1,000 years, over 1,000 years, no nation of Israel. Are you going to be that crazy man or woman that really believes the Bible that God promised eternal land to Israel, what are you going to do? And so we come up with these theories to, to reconcile history. Um, there's other views that say that Matthew 24, some of these scriptures that I read in the book of Revelation are not in the, uh, are not no longer valid for us because they were fulfilled in AD 70. Uh, the preterist view that all the prophecies in Revelation already were fulfilled in AD 70, so it has no future value for us. Even Matthew 24, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, no valid value for us because that was in the old church age, and we're no longer in there. We're in the kingdom age. That's another popular view. I'm not going to name names, but that's very popular and gaining popularity all over the body of Christ. Um, uh, but to make that view work, you have to say things like, yeah, Matthew 24, Jesus, it's no longer needed. All the scriptures in the Old Testament uh, not need to be fulfilled literally. Uh, literally. So, anyways, that's my best attempt to explain it in a very short way. Uh, that's the reason I've come to the deep conviction that if you read the Bible literally, there is a very unified one view that comes forth. But if you start symbolizing everything and making everything metaphorical, and then you can make anything mean anything. You can make it mean a helicopter. You can make it mean this or that. You can make it uh, mean anything. But if we would receive God's word as it is, I believe this is um, where, where we land. Um, so let's uh, touch very quickly on rapture and Israel. Um, so the rapture, um, 
Would I read letter A, uh, Roman numeral four, letter A? The rapture describes what happened to the saints worldwide when Jesus appears in the sky at his second coming. The saints will meet Jesus in the air and will be instantly changed by receiving resurrected bodies. The rapture is not a secret event, but one seen by all people on earth. It occurs at the last or the second trumpet. I did read it, but let me read the scripture. First Thessalonians 4, 15 through 18. For this we say to you that, uh, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. The time is coming when we're really going to have to comfort one another with these words. So that's another, another story. But the rapture is when Jesus himself comes and those who are alive on the earth will be caught up in, with him in the air. And those who are already with Jesus will uh, descend with him. Um, letter B. Paul made it clear that the rapture takes place at the last trumpet, which is the seventh trumpet. So the rapture occurs after the tribulation at the second coming of Jesus. There will be a mature, victorious bride already in the process of overcoming evil one before the second coming. <laughs> uh, Matthew 24, letter C. Uh, 24, Matthew 24, 29 through 31. In Matthew 24, I believe Jesus kind of lays it out chronologically. He says, after this, this will happen. After this, this will happen. Immediately after that, this will happen. And he says when the rapture is going to take place, Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So right after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So that's the, what we would call the rapture, Jesus and his second coming. But it's going to happen immediately after the tribulation of those days, which Jesus just descri 